Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. It's good to see you guys, this awkward moment in the transition between one thing and the next. You guys are all pretty much like sitting in your seats tonight, like you know, I love that moment during the announcements when the lights are dim because it's like the one chance because now that's it. I, it's like shadows and, and glares, you know, from this point forward. But I get to see who's here and see where you guys are sitting and uh, just appreciate you. If you have your Bibles handy, you can open them tonight to the book of Acts chapter 19 for our study. If you have, um, you're here and you don't have a Bible and you want to follow along, just get the attention of one of the ushers and they will... Um, pass one off to you as we begin. Um, last week, we, we looked at the first seven verses of chapter 19, and it's um, kind of this episode where the Apostle Paul uh, comes into the city of Ephesus, where he, he had been previously for a very brief time, um, and he had left a couple of his uh, um, partners there, Aquila and Priscilla, and they spent a little bit of time. Um, Then it was visited by a a man that we read about in the New Testament named Apollos, and he had come there for a short time. Um, And then then kind of everyone vacated, and Paul comes back to Ephesus a little bit later, um, and nothing had really taken root. There there wasn't like a full uh, formal um, uh, church that had been planted, but he comes there and he finds a group of disciples. And, um, and, and it's a very unique experience because usually we read about Paul and he goes into a, a place and he comes into the synagogue and he starts from the very beginning and he talks to them about Jesus. But here he finds a group of people that are already kind of acquainted with Jesus. They're already kind of familiar with Jesus. Uh, and he leads in, in in a completely different way. And we learn something about Paul's heart uh, as he comes to Ephesus that we wouldn't maybe know otherwise and that is that he wasn't only concerned with uh, whether a person knows Jesus and if their eternal life is secure. That, yes, that was his primary concern, as it should be, uh, in his calling, in his ministry, uh, in, in what he knew. Um, but he was also concerned with the type of life that they lived now that they knew Jesus. And the reason that we know he was concerned about that is because the question that he asks this group of disciples that he finds is the second most important question that a human being can be asked. The first most important question, of course, is uh, do you believe in Jesus? Or do you know where you're going to go when you die? And have you uh, settled the issue of eternity and salvation in your hearts? That's the, the most important question a person could ever be asked. But the second most important question, which is the one that Paul asked these believers, is have you received the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost since you believed? And and the reason why that's the second most important question that a person can be asked is because Paul would describe that experience of having the Holy Spirit come into your life and empower your life. He would describe it when he wrote later to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 14, and he would say that the Holy Spirit really is the down payment of your eternal inheritance. And that's a very interesting word when you think about uh, the Holy Spirit and, and his presence in a life as being the down payment of what's to come. And if you think about what a down payment is, is a down payment is an upfront portion of the resources that are necessary 
to carry you through to the next phase of the work or of the experience. And so what Paul would say about the experience that believers are called to have with the Holy Spirit is that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are given the resources that you need in order to carry you through to the next phase of the experience. And so in other words, it's when the Holy Spirit comes into the life that that then what's imparted to you is all the resources that you need to live out the rest of the time that you're here on earth. And that was important to Paul, that that people had that experience because without it, uh, you don't have what you need. Now, this segment of scripture, the first seven verses of chapter 19, we did go through it, but it is rich enough and this concept is important enough that we're going to spend another week in it. I want to give you a little bit more because I think it is that important. And so let's read it, the first seven verses, then we'll pray and then uh, hear what the Lord wants to speak through it. And so it says in chapter 19, verse one, that it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, people that already professed, they believed. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John, that is John the Baptist, Verily, baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. So when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and they prophesied and all the men were about 12. Let's pray. Father, we, we uh, read your word, and we know that not one um, breath of it is there by accident, and we know that all of it is living and, and relevant and current, and it speaks to us today. And so I pray, Lord, that you have a room full of hearts that are open, that are curious, that are uh, willing and needing to receive all that you have for us. And so we pray tonight, Lord, that as we uh, dive into the meaning of this mystery, we pray that you would speak to us, that you'd clarify it, and most of all, that you would impart it, Lord, that we would truly experience what this means, that we might live the kind of life that uh, you intend for us. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you didn't hear last week's message, I'm not going to review the concept of the baptisms that we talked about. You'll have to go back and get it, but that won't keep you from hearing uh, what we have tonight to talk about. Have you guys ever um, seen something that just really makes you marvel when you think about the process of how it came to be? Uh, we went and we saw um, Top Gun, and we, you know, we're not huge movie people, but like four people said it was the best movie they'd ever seen in their life. And that's like not an easy list to get on, you know. Um, so we thought, well, that's kind of cool. So we, we went and we saw it, and I think it's got to be up there. It's definitely in the top three of just amazing movies. And in the opening scene, um, the, you know, you see Tom Cruise, and he's flying this uh, um, prototype fighter jet that um, is supposedly able to travel at speeds of Mach 10 which is uh, really unheard of. 
And I didn't know that. I actually went home and Googled that if it was actually possible. Like, are we at Mach 9? Like, you know, what are we pushing the limits of here? Uh, and really, we're only at about Mach 3, what we uh, have. But there are prototypes right now that can do Mach 6, which is about 4,500 miles an hour. Which just think, I mean, you could fly, uh, make a circle. Yes, the earth is a circle. I, at least I believe that it's a circle. Um, that, that you can make a circle all the way around the... In fact, I asked Andrew Baffey, who is the, the musician, he was an airline pilot. And I said, Andrew, have you flown around the whole world without stopping? And he said, yes. Okay, so that's totally another topic for another time, okay? But you can fly around the world at Mach 6. You can do that in about uh, less than six hours. It's just an incredible speed. You know, so I'm watching the scene where this thing, and I'm going like, how in the world did we do this? I mean, you think about an F-18 or, you know, something that can just travel at the, how did we figure this out? And I just marvel. I still think that when I see just a commercial airliner flying through the sky. And I'm like, that thing weighs an incomprehensible amount. And I, I, it's flying through the air with people on it. And they trust that they're okay in this whole thing. And I just marvel at the idea of the concept of how we got to that. Sometimes I look at my smartphone and I think of the access that that gives us to information and the connectivity and the potential and the convenience and, and, and just the information that so quickly is available. And I marvel and I think, how did we do this where we're, we're video telephoning with people on the other side of the world in real time? Like, how did we get here? How did we figure this out? And, and it's just this thing to, to comprehend um, the, the marvel of it all. Now, the common denominator behind all of the things that would make you marvel when you think about the process of how they came to be, the common denominator is that they were all created by human beings. That there was a human that applied principles and that put together elements, compounds, and resources and gathered data and collaborated together in order to build and create these things that we look at and we say, how in the world did that happen? It didn't happen by accident. Now, what I don't know is what God's part is or what part God played in that whole process. But what I do know is that man is made in God's image and that man is made uniquely intelligent. And we have this amazing potential uh, to create these things. And so the question I want to ask is this, in light of all of that, is that what happens when you take almighty God here and you take intelligent man here and you combine those two things in one body? What happens? What happens when you do take the divine and you do take the human and you put them together. And when you think about the implications of what that could mean, you begin to realize why this is the second most important question that could ever be asked to a human being. That is, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Has Almighty God come into your life in such a way that Almighty God and intelligent man are dwelling together, combined in the same body? Now, sadly, I think that if you took a sample, a broad sample of Christians around the world, and you were to kind of analyze, okay, almighty God and intelligent man dwelling together in the same body, tell me, what is the experience of what that looks like? 
What you would see if you were just a casual observer of it is that you would see, well, it's an initial experience where you feel something and you know something changed. And then you learn a bunch of stuff and then you try to stay out of trouble and you gather weekly and then you wait till you die until the rapture happens. And that's what it looks like when almighty God and intelligent man come together in the same body. And we ask the question, is that really all the spirit-filled life is? What does it actually mean to be filled with God? Is it just an, an ability to comprehend the Bible and then learn and fit into Christian culture and maybe do a couple of things along the way, one or two? Is that what it is? What does it mean to receive the Holy Spirit? What does it look like? How does it translate into the experience? There is an, a historical event in the Bible that is uh, recorded in the Bible for us as an illustration of what this is supposed to look like. It's both history and that what the Bible teaches actually happened, but it's also revealed to us in Scripture that it is an allegory, that it's a historical thing that happened in Old Testament times with God's people that is an illustration of what it's supposed to look like to live the Spirit-filled life. It's an experience that God led his people Israel through, and it illustrates this kind of example. How many of you in here have ever heard of the promised land? Or you've heard the words, the promised land? You know, maybe you heard it in a song or a hymn or, uh, you, you know, in a movie or, a, or some poetry or something, and you think about the promised land. Well, that's actually something that comes out of the Bible. God had told Abraham, who was really the first believer in the sense uh, of uh, the father of the nation of Israel, and God had come to him and he had given to Abraham a promise. He said, Abraham, I am going to make of you and your descendants a great nation. That was number one. You are going to be the father of a great nation. Number two is that I am going to give you this land that you are right now standing on. At that time, it was the land of Canaan, and it would become what we know to be Israel, ancient Israel, and even modern-day Israel. That was the land, and then God gave him the reason. So you're going to be a nation? He said, I'm going to give you this land, and here's the reason. He said, so that you can be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. So the promise isn't just about you and your lasting legacy and reputation. And it's not just about the possession of the land that I'm going to give you, but it's about the reason behind it is that I've got something for you to contribute to humanity and to my purpose and my calling. And we call that the promise. We call it the promised land because God promised it to Abraham. Well, time happened and the nation was formed as God promised. It multiplied as God promised, but it multiplied while Abraham's descendants were slaves in Egypt. So they spent that season, that long season, multiplying in Egypt. And when they were a number that was large enough to be quantified as a nation, God raised up Moses, who then delivered them from the slavery of Egypt. And they passed through the Red Sea. God miraculously opened the waters of the Red Sea. And all three million of Abraham's descendants passed through it as though they were on dry ground. Now, here's where the picture or the example uh, or the illustration begins to unfold. Because what we're told in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 
is that when they passed through the Red Sea, that that was a picture or an illustration of water baptism. That's what Paul says. It's in the Bible that that declares that that was the picture that God was, the illustration that God was seeking to communicate through that experience. And so they were saved out of slavery in Egypt and set free from that slavery through the baptism of water as they passed through the Red Sea as on dry ground. They went under the water, figuratively, and they came out again alive miraculously and that God opened up the Red Sea. Paul says it's a picture, it's a type, it's an illustration of baptism. That's what it was. Okay, then they go through a season, 40 years long, of suspension while they're waiting, preparation while they're being worked on, and process while God is orchestrating and working things out to prepare them for the next stage. Then Moses dies, and Moses' successor, a man by the name of Joshua, whose name is the same in Hebrew as Jesus, if you were translating it into the, our Aramaic, Joshua would be Yeshua, so it's Jesus, it's the same name. Jesus, or Joshua, now takes the people that had been brought out by the law, baptized unto freedom, and now there's a second baptism. Because following Joshua, they leave this wilderness place, this desert place, and they now walk into the Jordan River, and the Jordan River is parted. The Jordan River opens for them miraculously. Interesting to me that Jordan actually means descending. That's what the word actually means, which is interesting because when Jesus went into the Jordan River and the Spirit came upon him, it says that the Spirit descended. It was in descending that the Spirit descended upon Jesus. And that second baptism, when they pass through the Jordan River, it's an illustration or a figure of the question that Paul is asking the believers here, saying, have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you entered into the life that God promised? Because the promised land experience for the Old Testament Israelites equals the model of the promised life that God gives to the New Testament Christian. What God did for them historically and nationally as a people He does for his people individually as we come into relationship with him. We are baptized, separated from our sins, water baptized. And then the spirit comes upon our lives and the spirit comes into our lives and we move into the promised life that he has. Galatians chapter 3, 14 defines it for us this way. It says that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Okay, the promise of the Spirit, what Paul calls the fire of God or receiving the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 19. And so the question that we ask and that we have is, what is that? What does it mean And what does it look like? What does it really look like for a Christian in the modern era to be filled with God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I believe that the answer to that question is in the allegory. It's in the illustration that we're given in the Old Testament concerning it. In Psalm chapter 105, verse 8, listen to what the psalmist says concerning God's promise to them. 
He says this. He says, he has remembered his covenant forever. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations, which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, that is the promise that he gave to them. And he confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. This is the promise, verse 11, saying unto thee, will I give the land of Canaan the lot of your inheritance? That's the promise. When they were but few in number, yea, very few, and strangers in it, God gave this promise that he had given to them. He says, your inheritance is, my promise and my gift to you is this land. Now, they entered that land. Joshua brought them into Canaan, into the promised land. And it was, as God said, it was a good land. They had difficulties in that uh, first experience that were there. They had to fight off the forces that would take it from them. And then they had to defeat the, 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 uh, the people that were there that God had said, you need to dispossess them of the land and you need to take what's been given to you as an inheritance. And they did that under Joshua's leadership. But then they were in. As the history unfolds, they're in the land. It's been divided. They have their inheritance. They're in it. And you ask the question, okay, now what? Okay, they're there. Have you ever, have you ever like sought after a goal and then you make the goal and then, you know, you, you thought maybe it would be something or, you know, but, but then, you know, a week passed, the initial thrill is gone. You get in and then for a little while and you're like, okay, now what? And, and it's almost like now you need another goal. And so they go in, they dispossess the land, they eat a couple of large grapes, their bellies are now full. And now the question is, what, what does this mean? We're, we're in regular life. Does this just mean now we keep our feast days? We go to synagogue every Saturday. We rejoice that we had the initial experience of having it. We, we have hope and we look forward to the fact that we're going to heaven. But, but in reality, when, when at the end of the day, they'd go home and lay their head down, they could just say, well, this really is almost just like it was before, only now we're in a different place. So before we rented, and now we own, okay? But, but it's, it, it kind of feels almost the same, what's really different? And if they had done that, if it was just about, okay, we're in a new location, we're there, they would have missed the entire point of why God brought them in. Because God said to Abraham, the reason I'm doing this is because I am supplying you with the resources that you need to be a blessing to all the other nations of the earth. This is not just for you. I'm doing this for you because of my promise and because of my love. But it's also because I want what I want to do through you to leave a mark on the world in my name. I want you to be a blessing. I want you to hear God's description of the promised land. When God, before they even possessed it, God said, I'm going to describe for you what it's going to be like in that land. It's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7. It's going to go up on the screen. Listen to God's declaration of what he says about the land that he's giving them. And I love this because it's kind of anticlimactic. He says, for the Lord thy God, brings you into a good land. And you're like, yeah, that, you know, you're hearing that. You're like, tell me about it. Tell me, I, I'm ready. This is a land that God made. I mean, what kind of a land does God make and give? It's a good land. He says, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, 
a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive and honey, a land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may dig brass. This is the description that God gives to his people about the land that they're about to go into. Okay, now how many of you would get really, really excited about that particular description of a land? You say, this is what I was born into. I mean, I, I mean that would actually be a few steps back. That almost sounds like a little Fred Flintstone, you know, you know, in a sense. I mean, we've come way further than where we're getting excited just about bread and barley and, and water. But listen to what God says. He says, it's a good land. He says, this is a good land where when, when there's highs and lows, when there's mountains and valleys, you're going to find water in both places. Meaning that, that there's going to be sustenance for you, whether you're in high times or whether you're in low times. God says, in this land, there's going to be resources of every kind for every sustaining need. You're going to have every kind of food that you would want, whether it's wheat and barley that make bread or whether it's oil and, and, and all of these things. This is what you're going to have in this. You're going to have precious metals, natural resources and elements. And then he says that there's even going to be things under the surface for you to discover. He says, out of whose hills you can dig brass. That is that there's going to be things to discover and use that are under the surface. And God says, through all of this, he says, you are going to, in this land, eat bread without scarceness. Now, in, in Bible language, especially in the Old Testament, that means that there's going to be an abundant opportunity for you to obtain wealth. You're not going to lack anything. There's going to be an abundance of, of bread for you to eat. And so what God says to these people, and I want you to hear this, listen, he says, all of the raw materials that you need are in this land and they're provided by me and they will be opened by me to you. And all that's required of you is that you discover these resources, that you unpack these resources, that you unfold them and you process them. And I promise you that everything that you need in order to prosper and thrive and be a blessing to nations and go further than you ever thought possible are there in the land. And all you have to do is figure it out. Take the resources that I've put there for you and figure out how they fit together and do something with it. You're going to have to figure out when you get there that olive oil is both salad dressing and lighter fluid. I'm not going to do that for you. You're going to figure that out. You're going to have to figure out when you get there that honey is both food and medicine. If you don't know that honey is medicine, you've never been to my house, okay? Because my wife keeps honey on hand just to spread on my kids when they fall, okay? Honey is actually medicine. You're going to have to figure out, God says, that oil will both lubricate things and it will make jet fuel. But you're going to have to figure that out. You're going to have to figure out that iron can be applied to both straighten teeth if you use it one way or knock out teeth if you use it another way. 
or even help with menstrual cramps if you take it orally and use it another way, is that you're going to have to figure out that every single thing that I have placed in this land is useful for you. But God doesn't do any of that for them. He gives them elements and then they create compounds. Then they take compounds and they use them as elements. And then they take those elements and they turn them into F-18s and iPhones and Tesla cars and Bluetooth headphones and all of the things that is possible to do with the raw materials that God has placed at their disposal that are intended for intelligent man to be coupled with an infinite God in order for things to happen that are a blessing to the world. God gave them resources, a mind, wisdom, freedom, opportunity. And then listen, then he set them free to either do something with it or not. The choice would be completely up to them. And this, God says, is the illustration of the spirit-filled life. This experience of these people in Canaan, this is what it's like for them naturally or nationally. The substance is what happens in you personally. This is essentially what happens when almighty God comes into intelligent man and they're combined in the same body. Listen, God gives you and I resources, a mind, wisdom, freedom, opportunity, along with access to himself on the inside to give us guidance and help. And then he says, it's all there for you. Everything that you need for your life to be a blessing to the entire world has already been placed there inside of you. Jesus told a parable very shortly before he went to the cross. It's in Matthew chapter 25. It's very familiar to people that have read through the New Testament. It's called the parable of the talents. And he said that the kingdom of God is like a man who went on a, on a wealthy man who went on a far journey and he delivered his goods to his servants and he gave them the, the, um, the task of, of occupying until he returned. Occupy does not just mean like when we tell our kids to go occupy, like go out in the yard and, and, and count grass. Okay, that's, that's great if you have kids that they get out of your way and do that. That's not what God meant to just go like twiddle your thumbs. Occupy comes from the word occupation, which means go find something productive to do. And here's the manner and the tenure of how it works. He says that he delivered to one five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each one according to the wisdom of the giver, he gave them according to their ability and their capacity to be able to reasonably produce something with what's been given to them. And so he says, I have given to you these things, these varying things, and now I am telling you to trade with them. Figure out what they are. Figure out how they fit together. Figure out how they apply. Couple them with your experiences and the things that you've been through, with the education that you've received, with the opportunities that you've had. Put it all together and begin trading with them. Make something happen with them. It does not mean that I have one ability to communicate and I trade with them, and so now I have three abilities to communicate. No, 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 no. That's just, that's one, one element. One part is I have an ability to communicate. I also have a passion for fitness or an interest in finance. And so what he's saying is, listen, stack some things. 
Figure out what's in you. Figure out what your talents are. And then put them together and make something happen. That's what Jesus is essentially saying to these people in this, uh, this parable. Okay, now Peter couples it with one more thing. Because it almost sounds like Jesus is saying, now go. And just go. Just you got it and you go. And it's kind of like this independent thing where you just go and figure it out. But Peter says this. It's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Peter adds an element of fellowship or connection. Not only has God already given you everything that you need, but he also invites you to take him along with you. It's not you go, it's let's go. God says, you're going to be filled with me. You're going to take what I've given to you. You're going to discover it. You're going to couple it with your experiences and your opportunities and things are going to happen. You say, what do you mean? What is all this flesh out like? What is a talent? What is it talking about? Well, you wonder why you, you love, you have this love to learn things. You're, you're just into education and you're one of those crazy people that just loves to do research. You could just spend hours and hours researching things and retaining information and you love it. But at the same time, on another part of, of your soul, in another part of your life, you have this amazing sense of humor. And you have this passion for some reason that you want to see people well. Maybe it's connected to the fact that you lost your mother at a certain time. And on another part, you just love nature. Anytime that you can be outside, there's just something that you're drawn to about it. And you look at all these parts that seem so disjointed. They seem like they don't even make sense. They don't even line up with each other. But all these things are in me for some reason. Those are raw materials. Or maybe you're the type of person that just loves to put things together, that loves making things. You, you drive by an Ikea factory on the highway and your mouth begins to water. You're just like, oh, I would just have such a blast in there. You're also a person who just hates inefficiency and nonsense. And you love making things better. And, and, and yet there's another part of you that just loves having fun. You, you love it. And you also value relationships. And it's just a part of you. It's something that's in you. And you think, well, I've got all these different things that are important to me, but they seem disjointed. They just seem like accidents that landed in me somewhere for some reason. Or maybe you're a person that you love to organize, but you don't motivate well on your own, but you love working with a team. You love collaborating. And there's another part of you, you love music. There's another part of you that loves seeing people thrive. You love it when you see someone just elevating and advancing. And you can't figure it out. Like what, these things, they're so irrelated, but yet they're so a part of me. There's another person here that you can't stand seeing people suffer. That when you see someone hurting, your heart breaks because you feel it on the inside, not just in your mind, but in your heart. And, and you hate poverty when you see it, your heart breaks when you see people hopeless and when you see corruption and oppression and inequality. And then there's another part of you that just loves education and you're confrontational. For some reason, you're not afraid of a good argument. And you have all of these things and, and there's so many different parts of what we are, of who we are. You could make a list right now of your own things. Like why, why do I love fashion? And, and why do I also love investment? And why do I like people or hate people? You know, and there's all these different things that we're trying to make sense of what they are. All of those are the raw materials of things that God has put in you that he says, hey, everything you need for life and godliness has already been given to you. It's already there. It's in you. 
It's not just the discovery of the natural raw materials, but it's also your experiences. You see, why did I come from a dysfunctional home? Or why am I the byproduct of divorced parents? Or why was there abuse? Why was I abused? Why was I brought up in the public school system? Or why wasn't I brought up in the public system? Why was I nurtured? Or why wasn't I nurtured? Why did I have that retail job for all of those years that seemed like just such a waste of time? It didn't make any sense. Why was I on team sports? Or why, why did I lose a parent at a young age? Or why did I miss out on a segment of life that everyone else seems to have experienced? And we have all these experiences that are in us and they seem like accidents and mistakes and setbacks. And w- what's going on in all of it? It's all a part of what God has formed within you. It's a part of what the promised life is going to lead you to. What about the opportunities? School that you went to, the programs that you were a part of, the travel that you were able to do, the mentorships and people that spoke into your life, the scholarships that you received, the unexpected transitions that changed your life unexpectedly here and there, the opportunities. Listen, all of these things, your raw materials, your experiences, and your opportunities, these are the raw materials of Canaan. These are the wheat and the barley and the honey and the olive oil and the brass that can be dug out of the hills, the elements that can be used to bring you to a place where you become a blessing to the rest of the world and where you yourself are satisfied. You eat bread in abundance. These are your loaves and fishes. You guys remember the story. You've heard the story of when Jesus wanted to feed a multitude and do something that was impossible with no resources. And they said, there's just one boy here and he just has a few loaves of fish. I'm sorry, compounds, elements, let's combine them, stack them, see how it works, fish sandwich, the first. uh, (laughs) He has a couple of loaves of bread and just a couple of fish. And what did Jesus say? They said, Lord, this this is nothing. The need is too great. Nothing can be done to feed this multitude. Jesus said what? He said, bring what you have to me. Bring it to me. And they brought the loaves and the fishes to Jesus. And it says that he took them in his hands. He looked up to heaven. He began to break them. And then he distributed them. Listen, he gave them back to the disciples and said, now you give it to the multitude. You guys, you guys probably have in your Bible, if you have that, that, the headings where it you know, highlights a segment and you can find it. I bet it says on the top of that segment, I bet it says Jesus feeds 5,000. That's wrong. Because Jesus did not feed 5,000. The disciples fed 5,000. The disciples gave to Jesus what they had. Jesus did what only Jesus can do with what was given to him. And then he gave it back to them and said, now you do with my power what you could never do in your own power. And they did what would be impossible for any natural man to ever do because the resources, though they seem small, were made great in the hand of him who is great and then they were distributed to the world. And this is what God desires to do. There was a, there was a young man in the Bible. His story is, is, uh, is very clear. It's very highlighted in the scriptures. And he wasn't even yet 20 years old. And um, he, had a lot of, he had a lot of talents. He had a lot of natural resources. He was very bright. He was educated. He came from a good family. He had strong administration gifts. He had integrity. He was a natural leader. And, and there was a little bit of tall poppy syndrome. You guys know what tall poppy syndrome is? Where they grow poppies, there's kind of like this lore that they're all supposed to grow the same height. 
And if any one poppy grows taller than the others, they cut that one down so that all the poppies appear to be the same. And he was a little bit further along than the people that he was uh, related to. And so in their jealousy, they assaulted him. They faked his death and they sold him into human trafficking. They sold him as a slave down into Egypt. And he was carried away into Egypt and his whole life was kind of shipwrecked. All of his plans, all of his dreams, all of his desires, everything that he wanted for his future was kind of taken from him in that movement. And and he, he, he was ripped off. He was stolen from. And he was bought by a man who owned an extremely large farm. And so here he finds himself now on this farm and he thought, okay, well, they took from me my, my life and my plans and my path, but they can't take away from me what's inside of me. And so he took all of the raw materials that were in him and he began to use them on this farm. And so he was a natural leader on the farm and he had integrity on the farm and he uses education on the farm. And, 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 and all of these things were a part of him where he was. And so soon because of what was in him and because he had natural resources and knew how to use them, he became the leader of the farm. He was put over the entire thing. And then some tall poppy syndrome happened and some things kind of happened. And the owner's wife said, well, he's more attractive than my husband and he's got more power than anyone else here. And I'm kind of attracted to that kind of power. And so she made an advance at this young man But because he had integrity, he said, I can't do this. This would be wickedness before God. It's out of order. It's out of line. And I'm not going to do that. It's, it's, It's against God. I can't do it. And so she falsely accuses him of rape. And again, his life is taken out from under him. He finds himself going from the leader of this farm to now being a common prisoner in a foreign land. And he's in jail. And they took from him everything he had. They took his new life. They took his new plan. And now he's nothing. And here he is again in this prison, but he took his raw materials with him. And he was a natural leader in the prison. And he was intelligent in the prison and he was bright and he had integrity in the prison. And soon enough, he became the leader of the prison. He was in charge of the entire thing because the things that were in him could not be taken from him and they were going to come out of him no matter what situation he found himself in. And so he's in this prison. Now he's the leader of the prison. And one day, suddenly, the king has a dream. And the dream was so troubling to the king that he needed to know what it meant because he was tormented by it. And it was told him, hey, there's this guy in the prison. And amongst all the other things he has going for him, he has this uncanny ability to interpret dreams. And the king says, send for him. And so the king sends for this young man. His name is Joseph, by the way, if you don't know already from the story. And this young man, Joseph, is brought in front of the king and the king tells Joseph his dream. And Joseph interprets the dream and the king knows that Joseph is right. And the king finds himself in a situation because he's the leader of this nation and he has to lead his people in spite of what comes and he just received bad news. And what the king really needs now that he knows what's coming is the king needs a natural leader who's been educated, who has integrity, who also knew something about farming and knew something about government bureaucracy. You go and try and find that combination in a human being. A farmer who also understands and knows and and, and can work within government. I mean, those things are, are very exclusive. And someone who knows something about security and defense because that's the only type of person that can solve the problem that we're about to face as a nation. Where am I going to find a man like this? 
And this young man raised his hand and said, oh, um, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, he actually, he didn't. He, was, he didn't tout his own. He, he was recognized. Wait, you spent how many years on a farm? You spent how many years in a prison? You know how both of these things work? And you understand the criminal mind? And you have the ability to administrate? And you have integrity? And you are where you say you, you're going to be when you say you're going to be there? And we don't find you doing things that we wouldn't want you to be? You're the guy. And all of a sudden, all of the natural resources that didn't make sense for so many years, coupled with the experiences that seemed like setbacks, everything converged in a moment. And this man, who was coupled with Almighty God, changed the world and saved the world in a moment. And his legacy would go on for eternity because of it. In Matthew 25, when Jesus gave that parable of the talents, he declared that everyone has raw materials. There's not one person that's been left out in that uh, thing. And he told us to trade with them, discover what's in you, define what's in you, use what's in you, combine it with other things, experiment with those things, and then do something that matters. Make something happen because, and this is essentially how Jesus finishes that parable, the parable of the talents. He says, because someday the story of what you did with what was given to you is going to be told. He, in the Bible, it says it a different way. It says that they have to give an account. And that's very scary. You know, you think like you kind of picture like you're going to walk into God's courtroom. I really hope it's not like that. You know, when believers go in, he's like, tell me what you did with what I gave you. You know, you were there. You know, don't make me say it. You know, I wasted it. I'm sorry. You know, no, I, I, think, I think what he wants is he wants to tell the story. He wants to say, wait till you see the things that I tucked into this life that, that were so difficult to try to figure out how, how they went together. And, and the opportunities that came and, and the experiences that coupled with it and, and how it was discovered, tell your story. Tell your story. What did you do? How did you make a difference? How was the world better? How is the kingdom greater? How is my name glorified because of what you did? Tell me, what did you start with and what did you become? And listen to me, church. The burden of promise, of help, and of success is on God. But the burden of do is on you to do something with it. I, one of my things that I love to do is I love to listen to, to the stories of wildly successful people, saved or unsaved, and to listen to the stories of where they began and how they got where they're going. I love those stories because to me, it's just such a fascinating thing how you hear how the things weave together, things that you would never expect to lead someone to a place that they never expected to be. But here's the similarity in all of those stories because they're all very similar, is that there is someone who's born naked, who had talents tucked inside of them, and then they had experiences and opportunities, and they all chose to do something with it. That's every single story of someone that becomes something or does something. And I have sad news. It's that the world is outpacing the church. The people that don't know God are actually doing more than the people that do know God. We've been told for too long in our churches that the spirit-filled life is an initial experience and then try to stay out of trouble and attend 
church weekly and sit tight until the rapture comes and tell some people about Jesus if you get a chance along the way. And we have been told that that's what the Spirit-filled life. But I ask you this question. Are, we, are you really living the Spirit-filled life? Is, is, is your life, and I'm not trying to make myself better than you or you worse than someone else, but just really, is your life the living example of what it looks like when Almighty God and intelligent man are combined together in one body? I don't think the Christian should ever be afraid of death. And I think most of us probably aren't if you know Jesus and you know where you're going. But one thing I think that every Christian should be terrified of is wasting your life, of having the opportunities that are there and not ever doing something with it. To ask the question, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed, is the same thing as asking the question, is your story being written right now? Or are the resources there, but they're lying dormant in the ground and nothing's going to you know what? You know what I'm afraid of? Is that most people are going to be the ones that say we buried the talent in the ground. Is that we never really even figured out what it was, what they were. We couldn't even tell you what they are. We never even really tried to define what we were or try to figure out what it's for. Have you received the Spirit? What story is being written? Listen, what, maybe your story will be that you took your love of doing research and your love of health and nature and you became part of a team that ended brain cancer. And, and, and maybe there's a long way to go and, and maybe that, that same research has to be conducted on, on so many other things, but, but there's someone's shoulders to stand on now because God took the, the passions and the love that I had for something and he did something with it that changed the world for a lot of people. You took your love of engineering and your hate of inefficiency and your desire to have fun and you solved the biggest problem that we face, traffic. And you created the flying car, the personal drone. And you made it affordable and marketable and you created a way and a system wherein people can now be in the air and not cluttering the streets below. You took your love of organization and team building and seeing people thrive and you used it to raise two daughters that figured out a way to end corruption in local governments and the effect of it was lasting and far-reaching. And you never knew that was in you or that that would be the outcome of what you were pouring into these little lives, but you were just being faithful to use the talents that were given to you and God used it to make a difference. You took your desire to see people well and not suffering and your vision for possibilities, and you took your ability to communicate, and, and what you did with it is that you created a school for entrepreneurs to create entrepreneurs in inner cities. And, and it's actually funded by, and taught by, and led by other entrepreneurs that want to now give back. And, and you figured out that if, if we just contact these people, we can change the trajectory of an entire city because we can teach people how to do something and help them recognize what's inside of them. And your story can be at the end that in 20 years, we so turned around an entire state that our state became the most powerful in the nation. And it changed the course of our country. I want to end by asking you the question, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And if so, what is the story that's being written about it? Because when you combine Almighty God and intelligent man in the same body, there's going to be a story to tell about that. And that is God's will for all of us. You say, well, what do I do 
with this concept, with this idea, with this understanding? What's the application? Here's what it is. It's not come forward. It's not be rebaptized. It's not to have someone lay hands on you and pray for you. Here's the application. Is that you go home and you go to bed and you wake up tomorrow morning and the first words out of your mouth are, Jesus, I give you my life today. This is what I am. This is what I have. What do you want to do today? That's the application to the message. And here's what you're going to discover. You're going to discover that what he wants for you is the exact same thing that you want for you. I invite you guys to stand with me. I just want to read one verse of a psalm. It's Psalm chapter 68, verse 28. And I love this verse because it's just the answer. The psalmist says this. He says, thy God hath commanded thy strength. That's the word of God over your life right now. He's put everything that you need for life and godliness to do something. He did not save you so that you could sit around until you die or the rapture. And now he wants to strengthen what he's put in you by his spirit and do something with it. And so God has commanded your strength. And now here's the reply and the response from us. Strengthen, O God, that which you have wrought for us. I do not want to sit on this hill and never find out what's buried in the ground underneath it. I never want to sit in this field and find out someday in eternity what wheat and barley and honey and oil do when you put them all together in the right ways. I never want to see the F-18 that could have been invented or whatever else it is. I never want to see that I miss that opportunity. Strengthen of God. Jesus, I give you my life. This is what I am. This is what I have. What do you want to do today? I want to pray over you. Father, I pray in Jesus' name over this great congregation of your people and all of those within the sound of my voice. And we hear you, Lord, trying to shake us awake. And our great fear collectively is that we would stand before you one day and say, I didn't even know there were talents under this ground. I didn't bury them. I just never even dug them up. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us a vision for what we are. God, that you would shake us awake from what society has told us we're supposed to be or what life is all about. And that, Jesus, we remember that we were created by you and we were created for you and that it's your desire to come into us that we would be completed and interpreted, divided and given. So we ask, Lord, that you would do that in each of us now, that none of us would come behind. Lord, call out of us what you've put in us. We can't do it without you, and Lord, we don't want to. So teach us who you are. Teach us your ways. Show us who we are. Empower us by your spirit. And lead us in your path. We ask it in Jesus' name name. Amen. I have to shift gears for a moment, and I have to just give you an announcement at the end of the service. Um, I didn't want to do it at the beginning because I wanted you to hear what I had to say. I have to do it at the end. I hope you don't forget what I said. But for the past 12 years, I have had uh, the incredible opportunity to teach you guys on Wednesday nights to be the Wednesday night teacher here in this church. Pastor Bobby welcomed me and, and the church welcomed me. And I have been able to teach you for, for these years. And 
pretty much probably about two-thirds of the Bible I've been able to go through with you and uh, with great freedom. And uh, I've experienced so much. I've learned so much. I've grown so much. I've uh, learned who you guys are, and we relate together so much. And, um, and, and it's, it's wonderful. And uh, you guys know that things change, circumstances change. And um, starting after next week, I'm no longer going to be the Wednesday night teacher here at uh, Calvary Chapel Hudson Valley. Um, but I want you to know that I'm not leaving. I'm, I'm still here. I'm still part of the church. My family is part of this church. We're involved here. And, um, you know, and I want you to know how much I love you. I also want you to know there's no scandal. There, I haven't been disqualified. <laughs> there, there's no um, uh, crookedness in anything where you have to, you know, spread rumors or anything like that, you know, or say, well, we wonder what happened. We knew about that guy, you know. You know, but I, I just want you guys to know um, what a privilege that it's been in every way. I'm so grateful to you, to the leadership of this church, uh, for the opportunity, and, um, and I love you. I genuinely uh, have you guys in my heart, so thank you for that. Let's sing. Let's close. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.